0: Good evening everybody and welcome to the first in a series of five honest conversations about race and how we can all move forward together. I'm Jeannie Johnson. I'm the founder of Ridgewood Walks and Ridgewood Talks. Ridgewood Walks provides free guided themed walking tours of Ridgewood and the podcast uh, Ridgewood Talks is where we interview uh, the leaders and legends of our village and where we dig into the town's hot topics we also provide community forums to discuss current events that affect the health and well-being of our community. And the purpose of these initiatives is to create a more connected and vibrant community. Uh, the forum that we have for this evening and for the next four Mondays is something that should have taken place long ago. Uh, the worldwide grieving over yet another black man being murdered by a law enforcement officer has literally brought our country to its knees. And It would be irresponsible not to have an open and honest discussion about race and what it's like to live in this country as a black American. I'm grateful for my friend Mac because I called him up last week and I just didn't know what to do or what to say, and I I wanted and needed his guidance on how I should direct my energies and to, to make the biggest impact that I can. I told him that I think the protests and the prayer vigils are meaningful, but when they're done, then what? We need to keep our foot on the gas if we're really meant to make change. Mac made a simple request, and that was to just listen and learn. So that's what we're inviting you to do too. We're asking you, uh, we're asking that you become a generous listener so that you can ask better questions. And generous listening is powered by curiosity, it involves a kind of vulnerability and a willingness to be surprised and to let go of assumptions and take in ambiguity. A good listener should want to understand the humanity behind the words of the other and patiently summon one's best self to offer compassion and validation and love. So, to be clear, this series is not about politics or religion. It's about humanity. There are no parties or cliques. It's just people listening and finding their better angels so that we can empathize and take action to help us all move forward in a direction that we can be proud of. Reverend Sarah Lindsay from the Unitarian Society is our tech wizard tonight, and I'm so grateful for her. Um, She's been a huge support of this initiative. And so without her, none of this could even happen. Um, So I'm gonna give you a few housekeeping items. Uh, You're gonna remain on mute for the entire one hour session, but you're encouraged to ask questions via the chat option found on the bottom of your screen. So please be kind and respectful with those questions. And if you'd like to hang in there for a few extra minutes after the formal session is closed, we're gonna continue on. So please note also that these conversations will be formatted for our Ridgewood Talks podcast, and they can be found on iTunes or SoundCloud. Um, And so for the next three weeks, Mac is gonna share conversations with Mark Oler from Westside Presbyterian Church on June 15th, and Arturo Lewis from Hope Emanuel on June 22nd, and Sarah Lindsay again, from the Unitar- Unitarian Society will be on June 29th. And on the final week of the series on July 6th, Mac is gonna tie this all together, and he's gonna give us some more actionable items to use going forward. So Sarah, I'm gonna let you take it from here. Thank you.
1: Hi everyone. It is my pleasure to introduce my colleague, the Reverend Mac Brandon. Um, Mac, as you know, is the pastor of the Metropolitan AME Zion Church in Ridgewood. Um, he came in 1984 to serve as the music minister. He is also a professor on the faculty of Ramapo College of New Jersey and is indeed a musician of the first order. Um, it is always a pleasure for me to be with Mac to talk with him, um, and I am so Uh, delighted to be introducing to him to you tonight. So Mac, the floor is yours.
2: Thank you very much. I appreciate it, uh, Sarah, and I appreciated Gene. In your, both of your introductions, I feel like uh, running out the house and closing the door, letting someone else speak because they were so wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, One of the things that Gene said, that I thought uh, I wanted to uh, follow up on was that I did say we just have to listen but I also met myself I guess it was about a year and a half ago when um, there was yet another killing there were killings and they there were there were there was any number of 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 civil events that seemed to not be addressed by the heart. What I mean by that is that many times in in our village, we're really quite good at responding. We respond to say that we disapprove of of uh, man's inhumanity to man, if you will. But there's something deeper, and 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 something something deeper in which the, which the, we have to we have to grapple with. And that is our heart. And so I decided to just kind of go into meditation to not say too much, to just listen. Um, I wanted to hear voices and I wanted to see if people were looking at the heart of the matter. Now, I've been speaking sort of superfluously talking about civil events. But when you dig down into series of events, and in the case of George Floyd, we look at police brutality, what you see is a pattern, a pattern of disorder and dysfunction where there is the unspoken and unconscious Acquiescence, acquiescence to a power differential. I must go go back now to my earliest recognition of this power differential. I think it was uh, it was what was it August twenty seventh, nineteen sixty three, uh, and it was about two o'clock in the morning. I believe it was August twenty seventh. Uh, My father uh, was taking a bus uh, down to Washington, D.C. for the March on Washington. I was little. My mother wouldn't let me go because I was all over the place. I was, you know, she was worried there wouldn't be enough bathrooms in Washington, D.C., so she wouldn't let me go. But there's a picture in the Troy record of my father leading folks. He was the president of the Troy YMCA. Troy is part of the capital cities, Albany, Troy, Schenectady in uh, New York. He was a pastor. His name was Reverend Mac Brandon, And he was not only president of Troy YMCA, but he was also a consultant to then Governor Nelson Rockefeller. And our house was full of talk about civil rights. This is 1963. Well, it was a for for many a victorious march. You know, you've heard about it, the march on Washington. I have a dream. He came back a bullion. He came back full of joy because you know there was solidarity. People came from all over the country. There were thousands of people. There were forty-four who came from our city. There was no mistake, however, that. That 44 was an island, island in the middle of tradition, which that tradition would thwart every bit of hard progress that we would attempt. We would attempt to march in Troy, march in Albany, march in Schenectady. Well, there was segregation, segregation in the stores. There was segregation in the the banks. It was was there, it was blatant. And yet I was a little kid and yet I could sense it. You know, there's something about children. They can sense what's really going on. So the joy turned into once again, distress. A year later, 1964, the, the movement continued. And of course, they would hear the news. And, and, and just a year and a half later, there was this place called the Pettus Bridge. The Pettus Bridge was, a, was a place, the place, the, 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 the locale of something called Bloody Sunday. Bloody Sunday was an event that happened after the murder of someone named Jimmy Jackson, and it was a second wave of violence. It's been a lot of years since 64, 65. It's been a lot of years since 1968. Did I say Jimmy Jackson? Jimmy Jackson was a guy who was protecting his mother because at this a protest. It was a demonstration and it was just a month before Bloody Sunday. It was a peaceful demonstration and police were were beating with a baton Jimmy Jackson's mother. So he tried to protect uh, them from beating her with a baton and they shot him point blank and killed him. And so we have the pathos again and again. How long will this go on. How long will this go on 65 65 turns into 68, and of course, anyone knows the lore of 68. There was so much assassinations, and there was so much embattlement. The 70s, the same thing. The 80s were the same thing, brutality, uh, of all, all sorts of, of, of violence, and that violence sometimes was emotional and mental violence as well as physical violence. And lo, these many years later, now it's 2020. There were two events that happened last week. Yeah, two events that happened. I guess it was a little little bit more than a week ago now. They happened within days of each other. Everyone knows about George Floyd and we're going to go there, but there was something that happened before that. Or happened during that same period of time, there was a woman in Central Park, and this woman in Central Park Park evoked this power differential, evoked some assumptions that were held in our society, two thousand and twenty. and as I watched the TV, I thought that could be me. Now, I must tell you i 'm not a bird watcher, and I don 't think I 'll ever be a good one. But I said that would that could be me, because she blatantly said, "I'm going to call the cops. She understood the power relationship in society. She understood something that I have understood since I was standing there next to the buses they got on the bus to march the march on Washington. She understood something which I understood not as the agent but as the target all of my life. Yes, full of joy, a wonderful life i, I i've loved my life, and yet the life has been full of this nagging. Injury, and so when she said, "I'm going to call the cops and I'm going to tell the African American man," that pierced my heart because I knew it was true, and I knew if it was the wrong police person, police person who came, that it it could have been a different story. How can there be the comfort? Now I must tell you there have been any number of things that have been said on air many number of things have been said from from the highest levels of government that i wonder and i say to myself do people hear this how is there a comfort with the the divisiveness that we are hearing not as a political matter but as a human matter i'm a christian minister and i don't know if there's anything that vexed me more than the fact that many of my fellow Christians seemed to be comfortable with some of the divisiveness that was. So I said, this is a human matter. Let's forget all our labels. This is human. Do you see what I see? And then I finally dared to look at the Minneapolis videotape. Now, I said, I finally dare to look because I'm going to be 100% honest with you. It generally takes a day before I can watch these videos. It takes a couple days when I see a video of a police person and I see someone on the ground, I know where this is going to go. And I see a black body on the, I know where it's going to go. So I didn't see it yet. Just, it seems a few weeks before in my timeline, my sense of time is terrible there was a guy who was me. I'm very curious. At one time, and don't laugh for the people who know me well, I used to jog and I was jogging. I used to jog and when I'm jogging, I'm curious. Have you ever seen a house that's open and you want to see the construction? You want to see the construction what's going on? You're just curious. You've never been in this path before. Well, this guy named Marbury, he was jogging and he saw construction. And yet when he left that place, he became target practice. They found, the perpetrators found their target. And yet there didn't seem to be a hue and cry from quarters that I would think, well, where are you? Where's your comfort? Where's your discomfort? You're, you're, You're not saying anything. Finally, I looked at George Floyd and something broke I had seen too many all my life of this thing and there was a point at which I said I don't care I you know there's there's things that you consider when you're clergy you're thinking okay well what should i say what should i still say i said you know there are points in which you say well listen i got to take my clergy tab off because this is crazy and so there was anguish. There was anguish in the streets. And I expected there to be anguish and I understood the anguish and I understood if there was violence, I understood the not taking any more of this. What did, I did not expect, however, what that there was, would be a joining of this anguish, anguish of white people. I had sat so long watching people being comfortable. but There's something really different that happened. So there's been this arc, there's been an arc of timeline over the past week. The first part of the week there was demonstration and angst and and anxiety and, 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 and anger Anger and anger, and I joined with them because there is a time. I, you said there's never been, and I wrote this in Facebook there's never been a time of revolution that wasn't sparked by a violent event. Never. Ask Moses, ask Pharaoh, ask any person who was a historian, anthropologist. Of social revolution. The social revolution, it just means take your foot off my neck and let's move to another understanding. You know, I was thinking about going back to Troy, New York. Um, there's this place called Prospect Park. Prospect Park is right in the center of Troy. And anyone who was going to RPI or Emma Willard or Russell Sage, there's a number of colleges in the area State, University of New York, and Albany you probably gone to the Prospect Park. It's right in the center of town. And you can drive to the top and there's a vista view of the city landscape. There's also a little park and there are the seesaws. And I remember with my friends, maybe in fifth grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, we would get on the seesaws. And there was one incident where someone got on the seesaw and he liked to be high. And, and the other person is low. And you know how it works. You push off and you're high and you're low and you're high and you low. But then what happened was another friend played a prank and held the person who was down, down. And as a result, he could not be afforded the vista view of the wonderful landscape of Troy. He was held down. And, and, and then my friend was looking and saying, isn't this great? Isn't this great? Because he's looking at this wonderful vista and he's seeing this great view. He says, isn't this great? And the old person said, let me off, get off me, get off me so I could get up. And I thought that moment was a perfect metaphor because it was kind of like an invisible knapsack on the person who was down, who wanted to also get that view. It seems like that sometimes uh, when I look at, you know, the, the d- civil discourse that we go through. And I thought about that this week. And I thought um, when we first, when it first started, when I saw, you know, one demonstration and then I saw 10 cities and then I saw 25 cities, I said, listen, I don't care what happens. I don't care what erupts. Something has, hap- something has to change in this country. And then there was some violence. There was looting and violence to be expected, to be expected. I I knew something had to happen because there was a pure emotion, a pure emotion that that went along with, with something that was so wrong. And there needed to be something said which would distract from that emotion. Ah, this is in my mind. And so looting came. And at first I thought, okay, maybe these are young people and they're rebel rousers, but I looked at the complexion of the looters and I thought that they might all be black and many of them were white. And I'm saying, what's going on here, Mac? I'm seeing that the broad expanse, the broad majority of demonstrators were peaceful. And at the end of the demonstrations, at the end, and maybe in the middle of the night, you would see people breaking glass and looting. And yet it was all conflated together. And so people who were just looking at the news, they turn it on in the morning and say there was looting after the demonstrations. And of course, people would say, oh, the looting. Look what they're doing, I don't condone that. And that became a topic of conversation. And I said, of course. But then there came another wave. And this other wave happened that people continued to march. And I must tell you, after this weekend, watching the marches that have gone on all across the country and in our county, and in boroughs and villages and townships and cities that whispered this is much too conservative a place for that that people were marching not only marching but saying black lives matter which 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 just 8 years ago was a pejorative black lives matter was met by all my all lives matter a statement of fragility All lives matter, indeed they do. Blue lives matter, indeed it does. And then it was a pejorative, but here we are eight years later and everybody's saying black lives matter. I saw someone in the news say, uh, uh, George Floyd is no martyr. (laughs) And of course I expected that. He's no hero. Look at his record. And I thought about how I looked at the same newspaper clipping of that bus going to Washington, D.C. And I look at whenever there was a black person in the clipping, it always said either, depending on the year, colored man, you know, robs bank, Negro man goes, you know, to college. And I always think there's always this this tag. So as I sat here, I thought about at the end of uh, last night, I thought when I weigh everything together and I think about 50 years of what's been going on, I have cautious hope. I have cautious hope because This join together of people, I haven't seen in a long time. I'm cautiously hopeful because I've seen an ebb and flow. I've seen kind of four feet forward and three, three feet back. And on last Monday, I said, I have to do something. On Wednesday, I said, I have to do something. I have to do a forum. I have to do something. And when Gene called, it was the perfect time. This is what Gene said. Jean says, I've marched, Jean Johnson. I have been involved in protests, but it seems like nothing has happened. Here are her words. It seems like we haven't pushed the needle forward. And I thought about it and she said, I know nothing. She was totally exasperated. She said, can you talk to people? I said, I would love to, because that kind of vulnerability is exactly what we need in our community, the kind of vulnerability where we talk to each other. The kind of vulnerability where we look and we hear each other's point of views, but more importantly, the kind of assertive, aggressive accountability in love one to another that we have. So when someone raises a flag of contention that does not have basis, that someone is comfortable enough to address it. I have cautious hope because I have seen blogs where someone raises the flag of contention and say yeah but the looters and then someone else will say yes the looters are bad and they are terrible and they are terrible but it is let us not let us not forsake the prize. The prize is that this sin which is so terrible in our country is racism. There are any number of isms. There's classism. There's sexism. There's religious prejudice. I mean, there's, there, there, there are any number of isms, but there's something about racism, which is at the very crux, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crucible principle of our country's existence. From its very beginning, it's an old concept. It's a 15th century concept, this notion of of race. It's a construct. It's not inherent. It's It's not in the genes, it's not in the DNA. It's a construct, and it was constructed to protect and make money. And so we have this ideology which moves from Europe on the boats to United States, it, it 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 finds its way in laws, in the very foundational laws. It find, finds its way in the founding militias to protect property and money. In New England, the founding founding militias were protecting you know sea bearing things, you know sea bearing uh, merchandise. In the South. Where militias were, uh, yes, it's, uh, I think it was the National Constable Association in, in Report, 1995, they were talking about the inception of militias, which turned into police forces. They talked about New England, but they said the real militia movement was started in the South, and the uh, militia movement in the South were slave patrols. At the very inception of militias, of what was called night patrols, at the inception of the police, it was, the inception of it was two police slaves. And so the relationship of police and those who were enslaved in our country is a long one. And in fact, from the very origins. Let me step back for a second to say I said the enslaved, not slaves, because that's a very important distinction. If you ever get an opportunity to watch Roots, there's a guy, uh, uh, Kunta Kinte, and Kunta Kinte. There's this, this wonderful scene. If you if you can if you want to, you can write me and I'll I'll tell you where the link is. But it's right now, just finding YouTube, where Kunta Kinte. Uh, leaves this, he he tries to leave his plantation, he escapes and he will not say that he has an Americanized name. Well, they catch him and they whip him and whip him and whip him to say that his name is Toby, because they've given him the name Toby. And at a particular moment of compromise, sorrowful compromise, he says, my name is Toby, because he's decided that to live he must take on his name, ha, but to be sure, he let his children know that my real name is Kunta Kente. Why is that important? Because the people were full and whole and wholesome people who were brought here. There have been any number of moments in history where people were taken from their locales and other people tried to make them less. Ah, the American experience was that you are three-fifths of a human, but we were whole people, but enslaved, and so any number of compromised excuses were given as to why we should continue in this country to keep foot of feet on necks. Now I'm speaking now, and in, in subsequent uh, subsequent uh, meetings, you know, I want to speak with other people, but I just want to lay a foundation um, of. of 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 who we are from kind of an emotional uh piece but i find myself looking at where do we go from here with a certain level of hope and that's where i want to listen i have put together a resource list and there are people and experts who are listening right now who have expertise in particular areas why? Why is it important to listen to each other? Because that moment where Kunta Kente said that he was Toby was a moment that some would say, well, the person whipping them or the person who was ordering it was, was a person who was full of personal racism. But in fact, it was an institution. And so there's like three levels here. We have personal racism. We have social cultural racism and we have institutional racism. And so the individual racism is what we all decry. It's what we all, you know, it's the people who say, I don't see color. Of course you see color. I don't see color, they say. That person is racist and I don't like. And that's a dangerous This is a dangerous moment, and the reason that I am so happy to be able to talk, it's a dangerous moment to say, I just don't like what happened with George Floyd and it shouldn't happen again. Ah, but the seeds are there to happen next week, and that's why we're together. That we finally want to, what I'm hopeful is that we finally want to address the seeds of how there could be this power differential. How we as humane people in this country, we who say America the beautiful, we who lift the flag, we who are people of faith, do we or do not we want the least, want those who have had the foot on the neck to have the opportunity that befits them being who they are, which is whole beings. And so in terms of institutional, institutional racism, you know, it, it, it finds its way in, in economic racism. It finds its way in housing. It finds its way in the ways that, that the government had preordained the way in which the government disallowed the movement of African-Americans to particular areas. The government condoned putting African-Americans in particular areas and condoned the lack of support in those areas. Now, what I want you to do is there are a couple of books that I think are vital. I think that White Fragility is one book. It's a book called White Fragility, and so many people have been talking about it. Get it tomorrow. Get it tomorrow. It's a great book. The Color of Law is another book. Get it tomorrow it will tell you in detail and statistics how America created these urban districts. When we say urban, sometimes that's euphemism for for African-American. Let me also back up and say this, that the story since that moment in 1963 of Appalachian of, of, of the movement upward of the people is quite a story. The story of of black wealth, the story of black upward mobility is quite a story. And I don't discount that. But in the midst of that upward mobility, oh, you didn't know, (laughs) because it's not mediated, right? But that story of upward mobility is, is tempered by this consistent, consistent bias. Institutional bias and it affects every sphere. There's this place where, and I, I said in a letter to my colleagues that uh, living in Glen Rock Ridgewood, knowing the police chief, it was one of the first times I have ever felt safe. It's one of the first times that I didn't flinch when I see a police car. That's true. I jokingly say that Methuselah is my cousin and that my last pet was a dinosaur. I'm old, I'm telling you, it's, I've lived a long time in many places, but this is the first time that I have felt when I see a police car, I'm not concerned with them turning the red lights on. The only other place that I felt that was London and that's because the cops didn't have guns. And you have to, you have to separate, what, well, you know, I, my cousin's a cop. Yeah, well, I, I have great friends who are cops too. But this is where we differentiate institution from personal. Because the institutional place is created to maintain the status quo. And when that status quo does not support the wholesomeness and wholeness of every member of society, then we have a problem. I was shocked when they said they were going to defund the Minneapolis Police Department. I had to think about that for a second. And I said, I, 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 what, what will we do? And then I'm saying, what are you talking about, Mac? What you? I said, that's amazing. Why? Because it's always coming down to the money. Because you have union representatives who say, no matter what you do, I don't care who you kill. I did not, I decided not to do statistics today. No matter what you do, what you kill, we got you covered. It is a very dangerous thing when loyalty comes before principle. Loyalty is absolutely important, but never before principle. It should be loyalty with principle. Sometimes we've seen in in higher echelons of uh, leadership, people say, well, this person's loyal. And that's the only thing that matters. We receive people say, well, how can you be comfortable with with what seems to be kind of an immoral way of ambulating through society? Well, we're loyal. And so I think it's really quite a revolutionary act that the, the city said, okay, in your loyalty, we will defund you. And that is a groundswell, a groundswell of cells all over the country that said, we have had enough. Now, one word about this this kind of notion of cells. In 1963, at the March of Washington, leadership was hierarchical. You have a leader, Martin Luther King. You have people who are Roy Wilkins. You have people who are leaders. And and the, the movements are known by their leadership, by their charismatic leadership. This was something different. This was different cells of people coming together to say, we are uniting around the principle. Sort of like the difference between AT&T phone company and the internet. It's kind of like everybody's doing their thing, but doing it in concert. And so you can't corral it, which was what made this so so momentous to me to see people from every walk of life saying this is enough now, you know, uh, if 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 I saw white people marching and they were saying stop killing. That would be what I would expect if they will say no more killing or treat people right. I would expect that You know, we've had uh We've had any number of times in which uh, particular groups have gotten together to stand together to say that we are against um, immoral behavior. But sometimes our Wording sometimes it seemed like we weren't strident enough. Sometimes it seemed like we didn't go, we didn't go deeper into the issue. Sometimes I've stood with with people from different faiths, and and we have stood on the right principles. But sometimes I think that we had confabs, We got together, and and we felt good, but were minds and hearts changed? Well, this was not just. This is not a good thing. This was white people saying Black Lives Matter. Wait a minute. So is it possible that we can actually start talking about that which is underneath the event? The event is certainly terrible. But it told me that people have seen the events. And that people have said, listen, there must be something I can do. And so the question is, what can I do? Well, there's any number of areas when we look at institutional racism that we can attack. We can attack. Uh, we can attack the healthcare system. We can attack uh, economic dis- uh, 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 disparities in the healthcare system. And my hope is that there will be people on who are expert in that area. I know from having gone to different meetings that there are people who are not only interested in it, but who are actively working in the area of healthcare disparities. In the letter from the interreligious group, uh, uh, Sarah, who, who is, a, a, is a champion in my mind, she started, she said, or uh, the second line, I think, said, thousands of black and brown bodies and when I first saw that line, because people said, Mac, you must have said that. I said, no, that was Sarah, right? She said, "Black thousands of black and brown bodies. And I said, whoa, the criminal justice system is, is exhibit A of how thousands of black and brown bodies are mistreated each and every day. You know, it's an interesting thing. Um, here's another book that's a required book for you. It's called The New Jim Crow. Get it tomorrow. The New Jim Crow is a book that uh, details how throughout history there have been any number of movements which sought to detain African-American, mostly African-American men, and that the prison system is the latest. Now, for those of you who don't know the prison system we have the we have the most detainees in the western world, and one of the things that happens in this seesaw in the in in the 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 the, the power differential is that one in, to find their comfort has to find ways in which to justify now we started off by saying the, I talked a lot about the wholesomeness and being whole either. African Americans are genetically different from European Americans, from whites, blacks, or either they're different genetically or they're not. We have proven in science that they're not, but I need to say again that they are not. If they are not, then they are, we are different, we are subject to social constructs. And so, if we're so subject to social constructs, and there's any number of, of of things that we're going to see, sociological happenings that we're going to see. Let's go back to Toby. You know, to Toby. There's a I think there's a I mean, social psychologist, uh, Harriman and uh, Jackson, and in a study in uh, 1991, um, I think uh, both of them out of out of uh, one did a a study on um, on uh, white identity construction. And Jackson did a st- study on uh, black identity construction. So they came together on a, uh, <clears throat> on a study and they were looking at agent and target. They were looking at these, these, these stages of assault you know the first level is a, a assault and uh, if one has an aggressive assault in if you're a majority or if you are the person in in control uh, you in, in in you assault someone and then they have a choice um, usually the first stage is naive acceptance that this is just the way it is and any child learns who is under assault, regardless of where you come from, you learn that this is, well, this is just the way it is. There are places that you shouldn't go, Mac. There are places that you shouldn't go, four-year-old Mac. There's things that you shouldn't say in particular places. There are times that mother is quiet. And I'm looking at mother and I begin to learn, I'm looking at father and I'm beginning to learn being born in Salisbury, North Carolina. I'm beginning to learn that there are certain times in certain places to that people smile. They change personalities. They we we change. And so there's this naive acceptance. And then we go to another stage. And we go to a stage where we go into apps, not just passive, but we go into active acceptance. Because we know to get along, what to, to get on, we gotta get along. And then there's this moment that there's resistance, there's a there's kind of trying to. To, 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 to push against the seams and we see how far it gets us and we have to, we have to see what that means. Now, on the other side, the agent, when they're doing this, this is the way it should be. Let me go back to the seesaw. You see, the guy at the seesaw is getting a great vista of the town. And the person on the bottom with the person holding their shoulders down, You know, he's justifying and he's saying, boy, this is a good view. This is a good view. Now, there may be a little bit of resistance and it may go equal, but the guy, and this is what my experience was, but I had not put it in sociological terms. He was saying, no, I want my view again. In a way he wanted to make the park great again. He wanted to see the view. He wanted to be able to see the view. And resistance, you find any number of things that you say. Ah, the victim. Oh, he was a bad guy anyway. He's a he was a he was a robber anyway. Yes, but those bodies are still black and brown. It seems time after time after time. And so the criminal justice system is yet another area that institutionally, we need to look at. I find myself thinking about, uh, I find myself thinking about what are the ways in which we will coalesce in these immediate days. And my fear is that like a receding tide that folks will say that was a bad thing, but um, we'll go back to business as normal. And I implore you that we shall not go back. We should not go back to business as normal. That there is something which is magical about us talking to each other. There's something which is magical about us hearing each other. There's something which is magical about us, us actually finding our way into each other's life to find out what makes you tick. There was an interesting thing that happened a couple days ago. Uh, I was in a supermarket and I have, had a few calls. People said, I, the people were talking to me. And this was my experience. People were talking to me. They never talked to me. They were smiling. They were smiling even through their face mask. I can see it because I can see the cheeks go up. They were smiling at me. Why are you smiling at me? I don't don't know you. But they were smiling because they saw me. They saw me. Maybe they had just come from a march, but they saw me. And I had one person who was really mad (laughs) because she had been seen for the first time in her life. She said, where have they been? And so there's going to be this this, this this moment where, you know, communication and finding our way to each other, you know, has, has fits and starts. But find our way to each other, we must. And so I just wanted to lay groundwork. And, and what I had hoped was to hear from you and to hear your voices, to hear the things that you have to say, your experiences, because I can't help but think that for some of you, that, you know, this March or, you know, whatever you went to yesterday or or in Ridgewood, they're going to have something on... Uh, at the YMCA on Wednesday. Uh, Park Ridge is Thursday, any number of places. But there were places that I was a little surprised. I didn't know they had something in Hawthorne, I guess, yesterday. They had something in Lodi yesterday. You know, I used to live in Lodi. I said, oh boy. They are having things all over the place. And what my hope is that we start talking to each other and continue talking to each other and continue talking about specific places that we can donate, specific ways in which we can contribute, specific organizations now, everyone will have different places, but let's all at this moment decide that we will contribute the resources of our mind, the resources of our body, the resources of our, our treasury to something to make this country better. And I'll open it up with that. I didn't want to give you the list I wanted us to construct a list. Now I have a resource list. I think Joanne Van Zandt is on. She she has a resource list. Uh, Jan Phillips is. Um, and, and please understand my heart when I make jokes, and I don't mean disrespectful. I call her Mecca. She's the Ridgewood Mecca for all things social. You know, all roads lead to Jan. And um, you know, there are people who are very involved, and I want those resource people. I want us to be able to talk together. So I hope I haven't gone too long, but I do wanna open up the pot so that we can begin to talk. Now, before that, I want you to know that on Wednesdays, I do this too, where I don't talk. (laughs) I do this on my own Zoom. So uh, I do a Zoom town meeting where I just listen. And so if anybody goes to my Facebook page, Mac Brandon, you know, come on and join. And we have a discussion on Wednesday at 9 p.m., um, which is my hope that actually we could talk. So let's open up the pot. And let's see what you have to say.
1: Mac. Um, what we'll do, I think we have um, a reasonable enough size that I can manage muting and unmuting you if you have sure. questions. So if you just type into the chat that you'd like to speak or ask or, you know, just have the floor, then I can unmute you. I'll sort of call you out and unmute you, and you can say what you are hoping to say. Um, but if you're able to pop that into the chat first, it will make things a little easier. Um, or you can try to wave a hand and I'll try to see you scrolling through the gallery.
0: While we're waiting, I just want to say that we definitely will put together a book discussion. And I think our book, our first book will be um, White Fragility. If everyone's okay with that, Sarah, you and I could kind of come up to with a way to make that work.
2: fragility is a great, 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 great start. Uh, There is such a sensitivity uh, about um, the area of of racism and I wanted to be ginger about it uh, and I want us to read the book so that we can actually really, really speak about this thing uh, in comfort and actually the work that needs to be done and what I was trying to say the work that really needs to be done is so hopeful because so many white people are now engaged in this conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm talking about it, when, when Black folks are talking about it, it's one dynamic. But when we're both mm-hmm. talking about it, and when white folks are talking to each other about it, it's another dynamic. And so this is a hopeful engagement. OK, what's the first question? What's the first Do so, um,
1: uh, you got it, Sarah? Yeah, Lynn, Lynn Needle. I unmuted you. You should be able to. Oh.
3: Thank you. I just want to thank you for your profound thoughts and for articulating with such uh, heartfelt passion your your thoughts and your kind of uncensored emotion. It's really powerful. And uh, I've been a contributing artist and just, you know, individual in the community in Ridgewood for more than 30 years, supporting um, all lives. I really believe in the reality that all all life matters, not all lives matter, all life matters because Absolutely. without the animal planet, the insect planet, which is endangered, without the bees, the monarchs, the pollinators, we don't have our food source, then we don't have mankind, humankind. So I think that words are really powerful and as a professional dancer and uh, artist, we, I, I walk the walk of nonverbal communication in my art form And what I want to ask you very respectfully and profoundly is where do you envision the arts in making a profound change? We look at the remarkable contribution of the great Alvin Ailey, the great Pearl Primus. These were great, great uh, artists that we all had to study and revere um, in our arts education, certainly in my dance education. And uh, as you know, Alvin Ailey's work was rooted from biblical inspiration and, and um, was so, so profound. And he's revered on a global scale, even after his passing many years ago. He came from great trauma and strife, and as you well know, in his family situation. And I think that what we're looking at is not just the reality of race and, and protest and unrest, but We're looking at so many layers of of issues, of discomfort, and I want you to know that we all want to help in the most immediate and profound way and are asking you to be specific in what we can do to act immediately, certainly in the long term, but it's like small, medium, large ice cream sundae. I could get one scoop of ice cream, two scoops or three scoops. What could we do in a small way, a medium way, and a large way to help
2: you and help your profound thoughts and ideas. Okay, a um, couple things. Thank you so much. First of all, uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I I teach at Rampeau College, and there's a course that I've been teaching for 25 years called Black Experience Through Music, where I chase where I, I uh, trace the chronology of America since its inception to the present through the lens of the Black experience, but specifically through the lens of Black musicianship. Um, and so we look at the history and we look at Black expression. Um, One of the things that is so important, and so important to say, um, is that uh, we start the class by recognizing that every person in the class has a unique history, which does not supersede anyone else's. And as such, all lives do matter. And unfortunately, it has become a pejorative, it's become a retort. Um, but in fact, especially as a person of faith, all lives do matter. And so it behooves us to look at a neglected history, a neglected sociology, um, and look at it through that lens. I've really been toying with the idea of doing an online course or doing a separate course um, of just this chronology of American history. There's so much history that we are not taught. I'm going to get to your your, your answer, uh, Lynn. I'm Uh, long-winded. But the thing that I didn't talk about was educational inequity. Um, One of the very first things we can do is look at how we can educate ourselves, but then how we can educate each other. That education of each other extends to the institution of schools. We've had now this pandemic that we're coming out of, and it was an obviously an opportunity to, if you will, homeschool. But I challenge us to look at the curriculum of our neighborhood schools. I saw a letter from a superintendent a couple of days ago um, that really looked wonderful. It didn't say much, but it looked wonderful. It looked, it was a pro forma letter about, this is what we're doing and how we are tending to black lives how we're attending to black studies. It didn't really say anything. It was what every, every district says when they do their report about you know, what we're doing. I always look for one line. And that line is, but we will seek ways to understand better. There was nothing in that that said, we will see. The only thing it says, if you have specific questions, as an educator, I'm always looking at, when I look at a situation, I'm always wondering how can I teach this situation, how can I learn from this situation and impart that, upon, that uh, 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 upon other people, upon students. And so I think at the very first, the question is who can I educate. Secondly, as a musician, I try. I try to play piano. As a musician, I. I'm always looking for, are there areas of music, are there expressions that are speaking to this moment? I'm looking at hip hop and saying, are there expressions? There have been some really, really poignant hip hop expressions, this guy named Nick Cannon, who's sort of, uh, he used to be married to Mariah Carey. He has this really, um, this strong statement called I can't breathe again. This gets laced with profanity, but it is strong. And I said, ah, I just want strong statements, right? I expect any moment. And I saw some jazz artists who were beginning to speak to this. Um, I expect dance to, to come out. Uh, I think I saw someone on on IG who already did a dance from Paris already doing a dance with, with George Floyd. So it's for artists. I would say consider your art form and consider yourself as a citizen and how can you contribute using your own resource, which is your body, which is the piano. How can I speak to this condition in a way, pardon me, I'm a a pastor, that ministers unto people Right? That's the first thing, you know, there's an old biblical thing that says, Moses says, what's in your hands? Right? And so we look at the things that are in our hands and, and as opposed to before we, we call up the NAACP or the, or the Urban League or any number of, uh, of organizations which we'll get to, what is in your hands? What can you do? What cousin can you call up that does not know the history? How can you educate yourself so that you can educate the person? There was a time um, I remember going to Thanksgiving meal and uh, it was a Thanksgiving meal with um, with ex-family. And uh, there was always somebody at the Thanksgiving table who was spouting off stuff that I just it was it was just crazy talk. And what I just did was keep my mouth shut. You know, what I decided, I said, no, 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 can't keep my mouth shut now. I have to be assertive. What's in my ma- What's in my hand is knowledge. And I want to use that knowledge to minister unto someone because that's how it happens. It's going to happen in the little cells. It's going to happen in your dance. It's going to happen in my piano piece. It's going to happen where I make amalgam both my understanding of what's going on in the world and my ability to express it. OK, Lynn, is that a start? I'm assuming you say yes.
1: Okay, <laughs> um, okay Martin.
4: Okay, uh, <clears throat> Reverend Mac, you can preach. I hate <laughs> I love it. Uh, your voice, your your tone, your face, uh, the the music that you put out is absolutely beautiful. I am touched to the heart. I'm so grateful for that. Um, and I think the place where you started from. Of, of feeling, hearing from the heart, is really one of the most powerful things I've heard all week, in the last two weeks. Mm. I really want to, I really want to hear that. I want to take it in. And, and, and the place where, you know, the place where my heart was touched, uh, when you talked about 1963, I was 11 years old. I didn't live in this country when I was 11 years old, right? 1963, but you took me to 1968. I was in Washington, DC. I took the train home from from Pennsylvania through Trenton, um, you know, Philadelphia, Baltimore, the night, the day after Martin Luther King was killed, every city was on fire. Yeah, absolutely. Every city was on fire. This is the fire that, that this is the fire that I've lived with my whole life, you know, and, and um, and so I don't worry when cities are on fire, you know, because I think uh, things are moving in a certain direction. The thing that really struck me about what you said is that, is, 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 the, is the capacity to ignore, like how does the capacity to ignore, right? How did we see Mr. Floyd, uh, and, and, and Mr. Floyd had been stepped on and killed so many times. How, what happened? You know, it's like, how did we see See uh okay. getting killed right when when because so many so many times the, the deaths have happened and we couldn't see it and 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 I guess what um what I already said in my heart but I lied what really touched my heart was when you said knowing the police chief of Ridgewood living literally with Glen Rock, knowing the police chief you no longer had an experience Right. So there's something about this immediate community. Like, you know, we could I, I'm interested in everybody reading everything they can about, you know, racism. But but Mike, my, my I really want to come back to you. Right. I want to come back to your Zoom. I want to come back to this community. And I want us to try to understand together how we live as a community that can ignore that's been able to ignore this as white communities. So, so- I think my one hypothesis it has to do with the mindless pursuit of self-interest. But you know, I think unpacking you know wealth and how we manage wealth and what we do with wealth in Ridgewood, Glen Rock, you know Hawthorne, you name it. I think this is the place where you know where I, I think we need to understand a little better what's happening and take advantage of 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 the awareness that young people have brought because young people don't actually believe they're going to be wealthier than their parents anymore. The American dream, you know, it, it went away. So mm. I think there's an opening in that. Uh, sure. Good,
2: good, good, good words. So, you know, this is what I'd say. I, I hope that, um, I, I hope if this was my, my Zoom, I would feel more comfortable, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I'm going for broke. Um, what I tell my class is there's an abused girl. There's an g- abused girl in the family. She's abused when she's young. Um, at some point, the whole family knows, but at a certain point, the whole family has a stake in protecting the silence. Now, the girl goes to this phase. We're going to talk about the social contract. she goes to a phase where she accepts it at a certain point passively, actively. She has to reset, but then there's resistance. But but the family, the silence is vital because if the silence is ever broken, the the world will know. Who the family is. The, the the whole stasis of the family will be broken. And so what happens is this young girl grows up and she matures, but there's a brokenness in her. She's been told she's whole, but everything around is a lie. And the one of the things that's making her crazy is how can no one say anything at the table? This actually happened and someone was talking to me until one day you break the silence and everybody comes down on you. People who you thought were allies, they come down on you. Why? Because at a certain point you are protecting the interest of what looks to be the family so much. And this is, it's infuriating, it's crazy. It leaves one broken when I see the comfort that that we're talking about. And so bringing this stuff out and actually talking because we are family bringing this stuff and talking about it and saying, yes, you know, people say so, so much. And I've been here now in Ridgewood since 1984. And I have heard now, I wasn't born in Ridgewood. That makes a big difference. Uh, and I didn't go to Ridgewood High, and it makes a big difference. Um, but, you know, we hear how, how it was wonderful. It's, one, it's wonderful, it's at all costs. Let's protect, you know, it's and it is, but you know what, there's a scab. There's a scab. Uh, in the middle of that smooth skin, and it's 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 a scab throughout all our communities, and our willingness to pull it off, and look at it, will be the first step. These cells of community, which all have scabs on them, when we pull it off and address it, that will be the beginning of our progress. So I I, I absolutely uh, think, and as a as a white man, and me as a, a black man. Uh, talking, I think that's kind of a special communication that we have to have because in societies anthropologically, it's always the men who kill the other men of the society to maintain the power base. And it's the African American men in a in a society who are most under assault. Studies say that proportionally the most educated skew in American of, 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 of American women are African American women. They're the most educated skew proportionally of women in America, right? But African American men is another story altogether. And so society puts its knee on the neck of African American. So the only way through is that actually we talk to each other and we can talk to each other heart to heart, right? And because if it's the power of our heart, then perhaps, perhaps we can put weapons down. Right. Because if we don't do that, what I'm thinking is, frankly, if you can just allow me to be me. When I see. I'm going to be real frank. I don't know how many people are on right now. Quite a few. Quite
1: a few. We, yeah, we're at 58 on here. Okay. OK. So,
2: you know, when I see this and it's just it's like the 50th, the 50th police, you know, brutality thing. It makes me. It makes me want to pick up a weapon. It makes me want to just take a a board or a baseball bat and smash the first white man that I see. That's what's going on in my flesh, right? And then I have to. I have to negotiate with myself, like not, That that's not going to do anything. But the problem is that that is a a, a contention within me, right? Because. I said, if I can be a faceless person and have this done to me, I don't know who to lash back at. I can't la- la- lash back at that person because no doubt that person is gonna be exonerated. <laughs> I can't get to that person. Well, if you could just tell me where that person is, then maybe I can handle them, but I can't. And I have to do something with this rage. And so was that Martin? Mm-hmm. You look like a good candidate. <laughs> you know so so I'm saying that the only way through is for us to see character to character who each other is let me say one more thing uh, and and we can do the next thing what I I said about the schools don't let that fly by you schools they say well Black History Month will do kind of this and kind of that no 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 you really must number one in your recruitment policies your human resource policies you want to make sure that you have community involvement in the same way as the police department you want to have community involvement if i see someone who looks something like me i'm more inclined to be in community with them and it is a way through association with the rest of the folks that should be part of who we are but secondly there should be a want i don't care if it's first grade or if it's 12th grade i teach college i am telling you that from these wonderful school districts, I get people every semester, and I have to re-educate them, right? And of course, these are the schools that say, well, listen, we have this, we have a, a black student unit, we have an African-American, we, have, we do black, we, you know? And they, they treat it as, well, all lives matter, and they all do. But there is a history, and I'm not even talking radically. I'm just saying there's a true history of America, which when you grapple with it and understand the history, you can appreciate it. You can appreciate it for what it is. You can appreciate the fact that it is founded on aggression. But in the middle of this thing and understanding the aggression, that perhaps we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to carry that on. We don't want to carry that aggression on we want to actually in this place that we've all found ourselves some for benevolent reasons some for nefarious reasons that we are in this place and in this petri dish can we find an experiment to find a place where we can become something new where we can come become a moral exemplar that other people might say I wonder if we can get together too. It's no, it's no, it's, it's it's no accident that people are marching all around the world. It's no accident. It's George Floyd is what they feel too. They are in league with us. They are, you know, in solidarity with us, but you know, the Paris March is something. They got thousands and thousands of people because they had their own George Floyd. Ghana they're marching. They had their own George Floyd from a colonial <laughs> it gets complicated. But I'm saying it happens all over the world. So um we have to just keep on speaking to each other and just keep on speaking to each other heart to heart. That's a long answer, but okay, next one. Kristen. <laughs> Bless you, Martin. Bless you. Hi
5: Mac. It's Kristen Plumley.
6: Hey.
5: Hi, how you doing? Okay. Um, so I actually have I'm going to try to squeeze in two questions here, but if we only have time for the one, that's okay. Okay, so as a singer, I'm thinking along the same lines as Lynn Needle, I want to be able to help people through my voice. And in terms of exactly what to sing, I think that will come up as time goes on. Sometimes y'all just be thinking, I'm like, that's the perfect song, that's the message I need to to sing, you know.
2: or sing what you sing.
5: Sing what you sing, exactly. Um, but my question is, OK, if I want to sing, we shall overcome, or lift every voice and sing, is that like a form of misappropriation? Like, well, could not be looked at as like, oh, here's the white girl trying to say she's friends with Black people and singing that, you know? Right,
2: right. <laughs> uh, and, and so it depends, first of all, it depends on the context. And, right. it, depends, and it depends on your heart. Right. And the reason I interjected and said sing what you you sing what you sing? Because when you sing, and I don't say you sing it, but if when you sing My Fair Lady, <laughs> right?
5: I do sing that.
2: <laughs> okay, there you go. All right. So when you sing My Fair Lady, I feel pretty, right? Whatever the song is. Um when you present it to people and expose people, perhaps expose an audience to musical theater, expose an audience to opera who has not seen it before, maybe it's a new, uh, new uh, audience, then you have done your piece. You don't have to morph yourself. You simply have to put yourself in spaces that you can expose people to who you are, right? So right. we don't have to do we don't have to appropriate and kind of move ourselves into no 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 it's okay. Just do who do you because you are you because you're great. And I saw you in all those dresses and all those things. <laughs> yeah. But you know, just be you, but bring it to audiences that perhaps hadn't seen it before. Yeah. Right? And find ways, and that's how we can utilize our resources. Hey, do you know maybe an audience who would like to uh, hear something, and then you can do some, you know, tweaking. And maybe I'll do this song here, or maybe I'll do something with Borgan and Best. You know, um, right. so I so that's that's my answer.
5: You know, okay. be that's, you,
2: but find ways cool. to minister.
5: Right. Minister. Right. And then sort of related to that, um, I was asked in church this past weekend, the music director, uh, and we were doing a a service specifically about George Floyd and about, you know, all this, and so the music director had said, okay, I have two, uh, ideas for you. One is Strange Fruit, which I had never heard before, and so I looked at the history of it. Oh my, God. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah, I would play it now for you. It's a great song. Wow.
5: Man. Yeah. So I really wanted to do that because it is just so awful.
2: <laughs> and, think of, and think about when Billy did it. Think about yeah. what was I think 38 thirty-nine. Thirty-nine. 39. Yeah. It when got she, her into
5: trouble. Oh. Yeah. It,
2: changed, it, it you know changed the arc of her career. Uh, right. In the same way that Nina Simone. Uh, right. do, you know, Mississippi, you know, changed the arc of her career. But how brave, how courageous it was. Yes. If anyone's never heard Strange Fruit, uh, listen to it by Billie Holiday. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead.
5: yeah Sarah, please put that in the chat. Yeah. Um, but he also asked me to do a Marian Anderson song. And for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. But I remember listening to it and saying, I'm like, I I can't pull this off with that kind of gravity. It's It just doesn't fit. So I know what you mean by what fits and what doesn't. But, you know, I don't you know, Billie Holiday singing <laughs> Strange Fruit and me are two very different things, but I really felt that song call to me. So yeah. that's why I did it. But I like what you say, that I don't feel like I have to morph myself into something else yeah. to get a point across. Yeah. Do, that makes
2: Do, do you, because wherever your heart is, if it's true, then it will speak to who, needs, right. who it needs to speak to, you know? Right. So in, in examining the experience, find your way in and you'll find certain things that, are, right. that sit right with you and go right. off to the races.
5: Right. OK, so here's my second question. Um, I have a good friend from high school that I had not seen for years after we graduated high school and whatnot. And then uh, when I was living in Brooklyn, I was at the gym and he just showed up right in front of my elliptical machine. I was like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing here? So he lived in the same town I did in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So or the same area. Um, so we, we got kind of connected again. This was just maybe 15 years ago. And we started hanging out a lot and this and that. And then I moved to New Jersey and um, we've still been in touch, you know, via social media and just uh, online and stuff like that. But now I would like to get in touch with him again, but I almost don't know what to say. I just want to know yeah. how okay, okay. do uh-huh. all that, but I don't want to be like, I'm calling all my black friends because I want to see what it you know. Um, yeah. but- yeah.
2: <laughs> but you're calling all your black friends. Okay. I so, guess I am,
5: but, but right. I just you know
2: Right. Okay. So um so so I, I would say, you know, why you wanna call him? You would you wanna call him because he got good biceps or because he was a good guy or because the all, with all the stuff that has been going on lately? Um, You'd like to get his thoughts because
5: it's all three, actually.
2: Okay, so if you thought about him and you'd like to get his thoughts, I'm receptive to anyone saying, well, what do you what do you think about this? Um, Because this is what what I this is my take. Right. And um, and I want to, you know, I've gotten a lot of calls from people and I appreciate their spirit. And, you know, either they call and say, hey, just, you know, thinking about you, whatever. But, you know, we were talking, we were in dialogue. And there was something I want to ask you about that that I didn't ask you then, you know, before. Uh, Or there was a particular thing, and I'm looking at it now in a different way. And that's, I think, an interesting conversation sparker. What's that? What's that? Eloise? I'm like, Eloise, I I would like to give the uh, advice column, all right? Uh, (laughs) Wear blue on the first date. No, no. Yeah. (laughs) But no, I would I would make it um, I would make it something which is is speaking truthfully about what sparked your interest in it in terms of substance, right? Because yes. certainly he is looking at this thing from wherever he is, and certainly he's been affected, right? Yeah, yeah. And so if you're coming at it with a with a clean and and, and a, a good intention heart, um, just just see where he's coming from. Now, yeah. you may find them in any place. I, I'm talking about, I've laid it out in a kind of an emotive, kind of general way. We're all at different places with this thing, right? Yeah. I must say, though, that if we had this conversation a week ago, I would have been more cautious, because there was so much anger. Mm-hmm. But you can, it's hard to be angry when you see the complexion of people walking up Rock Road in Glen Rock, <laughs> right? It's hard to be real as angry when you say, wait a minute, I, I wasn't expecting this, or in Hawthorne, or Lodi. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't seen the pictures of Lodi, but I'm still kind of, whoa, okay. You know, it's hard to be as, as angry, you're angry, but then you realize that you can't, You, it's something which is larger and more complex See, it was so easy in the 60s there were these bad guys and they they spit on people and they put buses on fire now it's all very subtle right now yeah. it's all very subtle and so what we must do is talk to each other one to one because then we can begin to tease out the subtleties we can begin to tease out the humanity of each other so call him and uh put on blue dress
5: Okay. <laughs> I just there's one other thing I want to say about him. He was actually the first person who opened my eyes to the racism that exists that even you know 15 years ago. We yep. had, We went out one night. We were in Manhattan and uh, we saw a show, and it was late, and it was time to go home. So we both live in Brooklyn, and but in different parts. And so I said, "All right, well, you know, let, let, let's get a cab. I'm going to get a cab." And then he said, "Okay, I'm, I'm going to take the subway home." And I said. Why are you taking the subway? Let's just go take a cab. He's like, Kristen, it's like after 11 o'clock at night. Like, no cab driver is going to pick me up. And I it didn't compute. I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, they'll pick you up. You're white. They won't pick me up. I I, yeah. Yeah. I never heard. I, it didn't even occur to me.
2: Yeah. I, I well, yeah. yeah. So, so over the weeks, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the, those kind of things. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is, that that is um, that's that is privilege and when we say privilege sometimes we think of it we call it we, we think of it as a pejorative but privilege is simply the 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 the, 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 the benefit that one gets right yeah. and um and sometimes we're walking around with silent privilege and we don't even know I happen to be a christian right and um and this is a christocentric country right so mm-hmm. if you are not christian you feel there are moments when everyone say okay let's pray or something and you're feeling, mm, uh, uh, you know, or uh, if someone uh, schedules something on a Jewish holiday and you're Jewish, right? Um, unless you're made aware of it. And so we walk around sometimes with the benefits of, uh, of that. As a man, right, I, I, there are some benefits. I walk around two o'clock in the morning anywhere I feel like going. Why? Because I'm a big black guy and come on, yeah, you better come up to me because I'm getting ready to hurt you if you do anything wrong, right? Two o'clock in the morning, I'll walk anywhere. I'll walk around a college campus at two o'clock in the morning. I, that's privilege, right? And I don't think about it until someone says to me, I'll say, oh, okay, well, we're gonna go this and do this thing at 11 o'clock at night. And someone says, yeah, but I don't have anybody to walk with me back home. And my first thing is to say, well, just walk by yourself. <laughs> privilege. Right? Right. So these are all those kinds of examples. And so I, I, I you know, my my intent is always to um for us to understand without ever demeaning. Uh so there are any number of things that we experience. We we grow up kind of learning what places to go and what places not to go, go. And we we know those groups are shady and we and at a certain point you self-select not to be found in the dissonance of that company or the dissonance of those folks. And so our culture kind of is molded around these social circles where you're wanted and unwanted, right? And we learn that and understand that, but what we're trying to do now is kind of break through those molds. So, all right, lose the color. All right, next person. Okay, Jan. You got it? I got it, thank you.
7: Um, thank you for sharing all those thoughts with us today, Mac. It's really amazing to just listen and and thank you, Sarah, for, um, helping open our eyes at the Unitarian Society. Um, I think there was a moment a couple, maybe a year, year and a half ago where I realized I didn't, I, I don't know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. That started me on this journey a little bit and I think what we have is, is cognitive dissonance. That's I, right. think, I think cell phones and cell phone video have just captured stuff that was happening for years. And people, white people, are saying, How can that be? And it was always happening, but now we have the video.
3: yeah
7: And the other thing that has been very powerful for me, one of our fellow congregants said it during Sarah's service last week. He said, So many people are saying, But I'm not racist. I don't see color. The whole right fragility thing. And he said, well, we have a racist society without any racists. And when you think about that, it just can't be true. So um, I think there's that, that dissonance, and I think people are coming to grips with it. So I think that's the moment. Um, that, that, was, that was like my, my, uh, my associate
2: at Metropolitan. She said one day, um, um, something to the degree of, do you think you're misogynist? and i i paused and had to say well yes (laughs) i i have to because you know i'm benefiting and there are so many unknowns in the system in the stream of misogyny that are that i'm not even aware of you know and and uh I, I love what you said. I don't know what I don't know, and all we can ask of people is to extend their antenna. There used to be this uh, every time I say that. There used to be this show called My Favorite Martian, and Uncle Martin used to have antennas, which it extended. <laughs> uh, but you know, extend your antennae of your social antennae, um, so that you are perhaps aware in a new way of things and people. That you weren't before, and what you said was, "Hey, that that's it. Thank you so much, thank you so much." And uh, I, I insisted when when Jean uh, was saying, "Okay, well, you know, I think Mark uh, Mark is good. I think uh, and Arturo's good." I said, "Oh, you got to call that Sarah Lindsay, right? Because uh, she's doing a great job. If if you're saying that, uh, so God bless you both."
7: Thank you.
1: Thanks for, thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you. Um, Jeannie Johnson, did you want to jump through? Sure,
0: in? Uh, Mac, I want to know, it, you know, we, we said we were going to wrap this up at 8 30. Um, you know,
2: I, I, I could go to 10 30, you know me, I can go.
0: <laughs> I know you, yeah, you like your Zoom, you like your Facebook Live at 10 o'clock. I, I do have a couple of questions. First of all, let me just say that um, my son, and he graduated from Ridgewood High School um, last year, and he and his friends spent a good part of the day today uh, composing a letter to the Bridgewood Board of Education, saying, "You really whitewashed our history lessons and I was so shocked i, I, I just didn't i just i didn 't realize it, but you know he has a friend who is uh, a black girl, and she 's like, "No, man, it was not okay like we didn 't learn what we should have learned and she had, she educated those boys today so um, but i want to go back to the riots and the looting if i understand you correctly and and i i mean this is what we, you and i talked about the other day too that i you know i have a friend who was in an area that was severely impacted by looting and rioting and you know she kept saying what are, my, our post office is gone and our Police station is gone, and these people don't have a place to go ha- have food. We can't go get food. We can't get groceries. Our grocery stores are gone now. Now what? Why? Why did this happen? And my response was I don't know, but I'm going to guess that rage took over. And rage said, I am more important than this building. I don't care. It can burned to the ground
2: we have you ever ever seen have you ever seen a kid have a temper tantrum in the family this is
0: what i said yeah that's the that's the comparison that i gave it's like you go through this the the you know you go through the process of elimination you know when somebody doesn't have the words to put to their pain they kick and scream
2: it's rage against the machine
0: okay so
2: that's what and, you were saying to me. And 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 by the way, the looting and stuff is equal opportunity. That's the thing that's so interesting about it. I I, I want you to look very carefully, not just at the um you know at the the, the vandalism, but look at the, the the video of those looters. You'll see the equal opportunity, the white and black. They're exactly. Opp- they're opportunists. So there are two camps. There are those who are enraged, and they're opportunists. And the opportunists are you know they, they, that that 's the worst that they are that that is the worst right because they are calculatedly for one of two reasons, either one to get the merchandise or two to thwart the movement mm-hmm. one of those two and and in either case they should be prosecuted mm-hmm. and so and so that 's a separate issue from the movement
0: (laughs) right can i can i bring up something that i heard it was just so impactful it was it was somebody that was on twitter and she did a, a little bit of a rant and she said talk to me about the looters when our system shoves that in our face about how you have to have this watch or those sneakers or this whatever and our system does not allow for that community to have that stuff, you know, it, it's like, it's kind of like a middle finger to the system, like.
2: So so that's some, number one, that's, that is metaphoric and it's symbolic. And for some people, that's some lefty talk. Um, <laughs> um, I, and I would say this, I would say that we all have choices to make. And we are responsible for our choices. Um, And so being enraged is entirely understandable. Being an opportunist is a decision that should come with consequences. And so when you have what was reported as someone uh, stealing a half million dollars from a furrier, Mm -hmm. that's an opportunist. Oh, for sure. And that, and and we can't find any good, uh, you know, any any good metaphor for that. Oh, the community has been covered in the fur of uh, of, of terrible things. Now, you're an opportunist, and you should go to jail. Right. And I think that when we we separate that from the movement, then we can keep our eyes on the prize. When people are enraged, when they light up a fire, you know, light of the fire. You know, when Martin was talking about uh, Newark, I remember when I was a little kid. uh, We went down Route 21 because I have cousins in Newark and uh, my aunt and and, uh, so we went to Newark after church. And we got as far as, you know, 21, when you first enter Newark, you know, right before the gas station, you're 21, you're going past Bellevue, you first go. And I never forget, an army tank was right there. And that mount, you know, the, uh, I forgot what they call it, right? The turrent, you know, turned and faced our car. And I remember my father said, okay, let's go home, right? And I was like, wow, I've never seen a, a tank in the, in the streets, right? I said, this is some serious stuff. And then when I started seeing the stuff that was going on with George Floyd, I said, this is 68 all over again. And I get it. I get it why Newark went in flames. It was right after Martin Luther King was assassinated. I get why all of these countries are in flames, but opportunists, that's something else. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. What was the other thing,
0: that That's it. I just wanted to once again say thank you for doing this. And I just want to remind everybody once again that this is just the first of a five-week series. Uh, Mac will be on with us uh, every Monday to July the 6th and have some really great guests that are coming up with Mark Oler from Westside Press next week.
4: Yeah. And
0: Arturo yep. Lewis from uh, Hope Emmanuel on the 22nd. And of course, our wonderful Sarah from um, the Unitarian Society on the 29th.
2: So, so let me say this real quick. So the hope is, for instance, with uh, Reverend Oler, but Mark is um that, as a white man that he's looked at you know he's looking at these issues, and he has a particular lens, mm-hmm. and so what I will do is i won't be talking as much as i talk talking now I will be you know allowing him to kind of look at our issues, but through his lens, and hopefully some light is shed that we can all all relate to um and fi- and finally. Um, again, I do a Zoom on Wednesday where I just listen to people. If you go on my Facebook page, it will be public. And it's just, uh, Mm. it's just anybody wants to talk. It's uh, just kind of continuing discussion. But uh, I just think we need to speak as much as possible to each other. And I thank you so much, Gene. I thank you for your heart. Um, And I thank you for your willingness to open up the windows of this dialogue. And my hope is that we all get a, we get some ideas. Remember this, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Because that which is in your hand is the beginning of of kind of moving out into a new understanding with each other. But take what you have and say, what do I have right around me? What call can I make now? What, who can I write? What can I do to, to, to move this along? And it's the millions of those moments of those assertive moments that will lead to change in our society, I believe.
0: All right, great. So I guess we'll just close it up for tonight. And um, again, thank you everybody for being on uh, Facebook and here on Zoom. Uh, and, you know, our parting words at Ridgewood Talks is be kind and do good. So good night, everybody. Good job, buddy. Thanks.
2: All right.
0: We still some people hanging out
2: here. Okay. You still
0: here, and you want to say something?
2: Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can say anything. Or Christensen. Let's see.
1: I think it's taking people a little time to. Oh, hope. Do you want? Okay. Yeah,
2: find that red button, that leave button, right?
1: Yeah. Sometimes it takes a little while.
6: Okay. I'm Joe. By the way, this is my daughter's. Hey, Joe. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm glad you came on. This is the after party, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah right. Joe, Joe's a
2: serious talking head. Yeah, Joe is
6: a good guy. I, I, I liked what you were saying about the looters and rioters. I've been talking to different people and everyone is pontificating and saying, oh, I think the looting is terrible and the rioting is terrible and taking this principled stand. Aside from the looters and the rioters, there's no one arguing that point. Yeah. There's only that everyone agrees that it's bad. And yeah. I think what you said about opportunists is really important. I can understand if somebody's had a terrible time with the police, and then we see people on the street, and at the end, somebody loses it and sets fire to a police car. I I understand the connection between the two. I don't think it gets them where they need to be. I I believe in nonviolence. And as soon as they get you to lose your cool, they've got you right where they want you to be. But I can understand a burning police car. What I don't see connected is... Target. I'm so upset about George Floyd that I'm going to get a flat screen. The guy who's stealing <laughs> the guy who's feel, the guy who's stealing the flat screen will be stealing the flat screen if the basketball team wins. That's right. If there's a blackout, if they're, they're going to find the opportunities. And when I discuss this with people, and I say, they say, "Well, you know, they're, they're, it's it's all connected." I make the point that these are people who are asking me not to judge all police by the actions of a couple of policemen. Right, Right. And right. They're right. doing precisely the same thing. And I think that when you talk about small things that we can do, I like metaphor. I, I like to hear people's discussions with people who can be reached yeah. or discussions that you've had with people who can't be reached in front of people who are in yeah. the middle yeah, yeah. there are the people who are never going to be reached, their hearts are turned, and That's they're right. they're 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 who they are. you're never going to get to them right but when they post things on social media or they say things in public, you can't leave it unanswered because if they're the ones the only ones who are speaking, you have to present the other story and I like to hear those little victories I like Well let's to, see what happens. I like to hear people tell stories about I was having a discussion, and then you know. And I'll, I'll just wrap up really quick, I, you talked about jogging and I was talking to a runner after the march in Hawthorne yesterday and he wasn't pers- persuaded that there's a lot of races. Everybody loves, you know, Hawthorne's a great town and he, but he, he I, and I couldn't persuade him that this was, that racism still existed and then he was also a runner and I said I like to run sometimes 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night, I, if I have an, any insomnia, I'll go out and run in the rain mm-hmm. at 11, 12 o'clock at night through the streets of Hawthorne. And I said, now you tell me honestly, could a black man do that? Mm-hmm. And the guy, he just, and I felt a very small victory because I said, as a runner, he understood how much that meant to him. Yeah. And he, he knew that he, that a black man wouldn't have that freedom. That if it wasn't, the pol- it might not even be our police force, but it'd be people saying there's a black man running through my neighborhood and calling the police and creating situations that i don't have to deal with mm-hmm. and anyway i'd like to hear That's more it. if you okay. to... well
2: you'll hear more yeah you'll hear more a little I, victory, I generally a little yeah i i yeah that's 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 the, that's kind of the, the sexy way of doing stuff. In other words, a lot of people, uh, uh, anecdotal stuff, and there's so much anecdotal stuff right. that uh, I try. To, I hesitate to go there because if we we can go for hours and hours and hours telling stories, I mean uh, there, there will <laughs> be an opportunity. There'll be opportunity for there's plenty of stories. And you know,
6: so. thank you for doing this and thank you for. No.
1: No, I don't know if you get if you were um, watching the chat, but I put um, an interesting piece into the chat. It, it talks about James Baldwin and looting. So just take a look at it. I think it could be of interest given given what you were just saying.
6: So, oh, well, okay. I don't usually use my now? daughter's iMac, so I wasn't able to explore. I sort of jumped on you mm-hmm. at the last minute. I'll Are you talking about it? James Baldwin uh, when he says there's no evidence? Show me the evidence. That piece? Um,
1: so it's, it, it, uh, I don't remember exactly the whole, it's the, about the essay from 1968, uh-huh. and, um, but it's like a Q and A with him. So it's, he he gets asked, how would you define somebody who smashes in the window of a television store and takes what he wants?
2: Oh, okay,
1: uh-huh. So this one, and, he, and he sort of talks about what is is—what is that about? What is that really, right. what is the, yeah.
2: Yeah, I'll take a look at that. I'll take a look. Yeah, yeah James Baldwin, I mean, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. For his time. No well, no, problem. actually he was of his time. Yeah,
1: Anyone, who's, who else is hanging out? I'm gonna unmute everybody's here or let you unmute yourselves yeah. Yeah. and then you can, I don't, cause I don't know if folks are waiting to talk or if they're just, they're yeah, watching. <laughs>
2: She's a great resource <laughs> person. And I was hoping to get to her before I, I spoke, but see, we have time, we have time to develop. I just kind of wanted to whet the appetite. I hope I wet the appetite um, to, 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 to go further in. Um, and, and, and it is a time of specifics, but I think that the real specific right now is to examine what's in your hand, to examine what do I have right now, as opposed to, you know, should I get in a car and go to Patterson? No, no, don't go to mm-hmm. Patterson, stay home and just think about what's in your hand, you know, think about what is it that I have. It's actually a very, it's a metacognitive moment for us to kind of just examine ourselves and say, well, what am I bringing to the table of this thing called life? You know, what am I bringing to the, what do I bring to the table that is a legacy to help somebody else? And now i not only want to help somebody else, just kind of selected someone else's, but now I want to really help everybody. And I want to do it intentionally. So I think that's the way You go. Who else is left? Now are up.
8: Mac, hey, it's Laura Christensen. Thank hey. you so much for doing this series. I'm. I feel so blessed. Um, you probably don't remember me and don't know who I am, but we met probably in nineteen ninety I don't know, seven, eight, somewhere around there. I'm really good friends with the Zeno family. Oh,
4: okay. Uh-huh. Yeah.
8: So I met you at AMA years ago, years and years ago. So um, oh,
2: nice to nice to see you. All I see is your name.
8: Yeah, I, I'm not putting my picture up. It's too late in the day, and, you know, okay. I'm like, you know.
2: Okay, well, <laughs> it's, it's nice to see you, here. Laura.
8: Well, maybe I could, here, I'll do it for a second. Um, maybe, if I could get there. But I really, I okay, really... Bobby, I love your face. Yeah, well, new hairdo. Um, <laughs> I, I definitely appreciate um, the dialogue, and I've been... Um, I posted earlier, I've been having gut-wrenching conversations with Mm -hmm. my 27-year-old daughter, Erica, and Dana um, became best friends in kindergarten, Um, so my daughter's in Texas right now, so um, she's having a hard time with everything that's going on in Texas, Um, she has a three-year-old daughter, um, and so she's starting to have the conversations um, about the injustices in the world and and um, what have you at a three-year-old level, but I'm very proud of her, um, and, and I finally, like Kathy and I have been going back and forth over the last couple of weeks trying to connect, and I connected with her, you know, I was hoping she'd join us, she'll join us for some of them, I hope, but um, this series, so I really appreciate it, and I am, I am challenging any white person i come in contact with about getting educated
2: you know Um, what can i can i tell you that that i was going (laughs) to say they're going to be any number of well-meaning people who want to reach across the aisle and find a black person to speak to right Right. and it's a well-meaning thing to do um i think that what you just said really is the secret you start where you are Right. And there are enough attitudes that need to be teased out that if you never see another Black person, you can still be an agent for change.
8: Absolutely.
2: And right like where you are, you can absolutely say, hey, listen, you know, what, what was it? Who was it that said, uh, I don't know what I don't know? Um, if you If you start there and begin to want to know more, then it's going to change your presentation. It's going to change what your knowledge base is going to change your conversation. It's going to mean that you include in your conversation an understanding of things that maybe you didn't know before, right? Right. And that will change someone. By the way, that will change someone whether you mean to change them or not. right? right? So it's, it's almost like, you know, when you're dating, and you talk to, a, and I talk to a girl. So I say, I'm talking to a girl, I'm dating her. And then she just talks, just regular talk. But she knows about this and she knows about that. And she knows about this and she knows about that. I'm like, wow, she knows a lot of stuff. Now, I may mean, not say to her, hey, you know a lot of stuff. But I'm affected by that, right? And so it is in our friendships, in our daily, in our daily banter. When you are, quote unquote, woke, people know it.
8: Right, right. You and know? I I mean, I in the last two weeks, I have shared stories upon stories upon stories that i've heard at the Zeno table um you know on our sunday dinners or what whatever and i was appalled at the time when i heard them and i'm more appalled now and just waking up some people that are in my circle that have been um so oblivious to this yeah. you know and even and even you know challenging people i'm like okay you know, Kathy is a is an affluent affluent American, you know, woman, you know, African American woman in Ridgewood, and we'll go out and people are talking to me when she's asking questions. You know, that's just wrong.
7: Yeah, it's,
2: you
8: know, that's right. And you know, oh, that doesn't happen. Yes, it does. Yes,
9: it does.
2: It's, that's right. That's right.
9: That's right. And I would throw out there too for white people to unpack racism. It's very difficult. Yes. You know, I have done this a really long time and I speak from experience because you get, and that's, I process information. So yeah, but you have to take the information and work it because it's sometimes not not things that we think about and the struggle to understand um, how we're racist, what does privilege mean? Even those two words, we don't really even use uh-huh. them properly anymore. Absolutely. But um, in, in my own journey to go, you know, which is decades now of uh, what is racism? Where, where do I fall in that loop? Um, what do I have to change? What do I have to see? And now so much of it's by rope. But it, it was a journey to really, when I, you know, uh, when you look at things, what's missing? When you look at media, what's missing? Who's missing? Whose faces don't you see? You know, I imagine what if TV was all, and I pick something. What if, you know, the TV was all Asian people? How would I feel as a white person? It was all African American people. how, How would I feel? And then that helps me understand what people see all the time because everything is white.
2: And let me let me just say let me say something you know uh how many friends have i said who i see when they said i went to this party and i was the only white girl i went to this party. i was the only one yes, i've girl.
9: done that <laughs> yeah right. like, i have been that person too so
2: right. it's like <laughs> it, 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 yeah. i'm saying welcome to life
9: right right so i i have well an extensive part of my family's african-american the other yeah offensive part is latino and yeah. so we took a birthday party picture and then one of my uh, colleagues from seminary also an african-american woman said i saw that picture and you're the lightest person in the picture right <laughs> <And I'm laughs> in the middle with this blonde hair and white skin and this peach top among all these beautiful colors of my family and my niece and the father and the families so yeah, yeah. so
2: and it's, yeah. it comes back to such an extended uh, extended part of my family is Italian-American. So, uh, you know, so, so, you know, when we were aligned, um, you know, it was always a, a cultural
6: <laughs> <laughs> differential,
2: right? Mm-hmm. But we were a family when we were. And it was this, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, interesting dichotomy. Of being within the family, and then the, how society is looking at it. So it's always very, very interesting, right? Uh, when you, when you, when you are blended, right? The kinds of things that you think
6: about that you might not normally think about,
2: you know. So yeah,
6: I'm with you, Joanne. Yeah. Did you, did you find that it took a long time to get a comfort level that you, you, intellectually you know where you want to be, and you know what's in your heart but when you're dealing with a group of people that you, haven't, that you haven't dealt with extensively, spending time with them, did you find that it took some time in this? Well,
2: okay, so I talked about dichotomy. In this case, these were very conservative state folks and staunchly um, and diametrically opposed to my politics, uh, but they were the most wonderful folks. <laughs> right and so i just said hey you know i'm gonna make a love love rule um but there were you know it was talking about cognitive dissonance my goodness you know <laughs> you know these it was it was interesting yeah yeah and and so the same you know the same uh i you know i remember um, uh, you know one guy says you know okay well i know you know he came i was living in lodi at the time he says uh you know, when they have the San Gennaro Festival, I believe he would go up to the tie-in delis, and he was such a happy person, you know. And uh, but then when it was uh, King's birthday, he says, well, "What, what, what should we do? What, what should we do?" And you know, he was he was actually well intentioned, and so there was all this education that we had to do with each other to understand each other. And these are the kinds of things, the kind of painful learnings that we need to do. I think it's
6: and, o- it's only time that lets you. It's only I'm, time with people. You have to spend time right. with people yeah. to get a comfort level. That's and right. I find yeah. if I find somebody who's homophobic, almost invariably they don't know any gay people. Right. And well, they don't think they know. <laughs> if, if, right, if somebody's, they, they think they know about them, but right. they don't know, they haven't spent time. And yeah. the same thing, my, um, my daughter chose her dance school, the Effusion Dance Collective. And it's run by two women who went to Alvin Ailey. and they're amazing dancers and they had opened up in Hawthorne and my daughter was five and saw through the window the ballet class and she wanted to go in so we took her in and she said uh, she asked me can I do this and I said yes and of course this was a school that was in Patterson and there were no white students and they were trying to survive in Hawthorne so when my daughter came in she's welcomed of course they're they're like oh yes absolutely terrific and the first the next brochure that came out had her on the front cover of right. the brochure and they had a daddy's dance. And I, I, I went, I grew up in Bergenfield. I had no black friends. I went to uh, a Catholic school. There were no black people in my Catholic school. In my high school, in DePaul High School, one black student and he wasn't in my like, grade. That's, that's when Bergenfield was white. Yeah.
2: Now I, I, remember. <laughs> so, I remember. I remember. <laughs>
6: We the played few, you guys. The few black people that I, I knew in my life I was close with, but I didn't really spend that much time. So now I'm in the daddy dance and there's fifteen guys and they're all black and the teacher's black and we've got a dance and the, we have to go up at the intermission and do a dance at the recital and we're gonna work at it for six weeks and it's hip hop. And <laughs> this <laughs> is not what you expect <laughs> with hip hop. And so I'm trying not to hit every stereotype that you would expect of the, the white guy who, <laughs> who can't dance. And I was, I gotta admit, I was really uncomfortable at first because I wanted to, I, I feel this desperate need to say like, I'm one of the good ones. <laughs> and I, find, I hear myself saying, oh, my black friend that I had. It's like, oh, <laughs> Jesus, you know <laughs> and, and guess so. what, you got a standing ovation at the end. No, uh, we all did, but I, I know, but I mean, I got past it and I have friends and it was such a great experience. And I mean, my heart was open and I didn't have any, Mm -hmm. I I really, I don't think, everyone has racism, everyone has preconceived ideas. I didn't have any, anything in my heart that had to be cleaned up. But that comfort level that I got from spending time was invaluable. And that's a really important thing that you can't go out and seek somebody and say, "I, I need to find a black person to relate to but when you have opportunities you've got to take advantage of them and just say here's a chance to to talk to somebody who's not somebody that i normally talk to and one of the things that you learn if you're a minority
2: anything and anything immigrant minority whatever your minority is that when you're in a place with quote-unquote strangers the one thing that you can be that you own is yourself and if you can just be yourself then people will see that if you're not trying to put on the air if you're not trying to be you know some you know stereotypical um, idea of what you know you think that they would expect. If you are just yourself, people will welcome you. And uh, so I'm sure your hip hop dance was really good.
6: Culturally, a lot of a lot of Irish people or people that you know, um, in my so, were terribly afraid of embarrassment. We're terrified yeah. of saying the wrong thing. Yeah, and that terror that it makes you. You, as soon, you get uncomfortable, and you start to say, "They can see that I'm uncomfortable," and you get more uncomfortable. That's right. And, yes. and the only thing that fixes that is time.
2: That's right. Yeah.
6: All right. Is that is this it? Oh, I got the five
2: of you. Did oh, I yeah. kill this? <laughs> is that it? Just the
0: five? The hanger. Yeah, on. I think that's it. I think we're ready to call it. Call it a day. Anastasia, Susan, do you have anything? and you guys want to say anything?
1: I think you're unmuted. I think sometimes people walk away from their device. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they're dark. Because they're exactly. not necessarily there. Well, it,
0: and Zoom etiquette tells the hosts, you know, you really have to stay until everybody's done. So I don't know if they're not there. But
1: no. So I mean, I think we can assume.
0: I think we can assume. It was a great night. Thank you. It well, was Sh-
1: great. Thanks Bye.
0: so much. Thank you, Matt. Thank,
6: thank
8: you, thank you for organizing this. I'm
0: looking yes. over to the series. We'll see you next week, you guys. Thanks again. All right.
3: All right bye. Take care.
0: Thanks so much. Bye. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye bye.